Yo. Welcome to Ergo. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm Kiss. You are. I'm Damon. We are here in the studio with a very wonderful special guest. I'm excited to have artist, space maker, curator, Tempest Hazel in the building. Put up, put up, put up. I've, I've taken to asking this question more and more. If you could have any animal as your intro music, like your walk-up music, what would it be? That's a really good question. Um, they get easier from here, don't worry. <laughs> I think two, really. Um, and for the most part, they're quiet animals. So one is just fish in mm. general, mm. Uh, Pisces, so, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... And water, and the quiet of water. So I would say fish, but then also um, a dear friend of mine, fellow artist, uh, Brooks Golden, his icon was kind of a an owl. He used the mm. owl a lot in his work, and those are kind of quiet watchers. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that I really, mm. um, really resonates with me. Shout out to yeah. animals. I think <laughs> just broadly, we have a, we're a very broad show. I think there is maybe no animal as fierce and depicted, like the, the range from its actual fierceness to its cuddliness depiction, there's no animal greater than the owl. Owls mm. are tough and mean and have talons and swoop <laughs> out of the air and pick up mice and take them and rip their head off. And we're like, oh, no, no, no. They read books. They have glasses. <laughs> They're just brilliant little tiny cute. Yeah. At least bears we have like an image of a grizzly, but there's no grizzly owl. Mm. No, there's been some mean owls. I'm like blanking on the, the child story, but there's been some mean owls for sure. Mm. Can you think of any? You think any I mean, mean owls I think, in the game? Wasn't it an owl that that was always on the Tootsie Pop commercial? That's true. Uh, yeah, he was more he was a uh, trickster. He was surly. He was <laughs> two weeks in a row. He was grumpy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, that was just a warm up. Uh, <laughs> get, get our toes wet. That's almost becoming our new first question. Yeah. But but traditionally we have a first <laughs> historically question that is uh, two parts that we would love for you to answer. Yeah. So, I was, time, I was ready. I thought I would oh, be ready for this okay, one. Okay, all right, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so in this time, define time however you please. So this day, this hour, this season, this lifetime, how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world? Hmm. You know, I, I really thought that I would have a, a good answer to this question. Um, you don't have to have a good one, just any <laughs> answer. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know how honest I want to be about the answer to that question right now, though. Okay, okay. Let me start with how I'm treating the world. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I'm treating to go to continue with the the whole owl thing as something to watch. Mm. I've spent a lot of this year producing and making things and um, putting things out into the world, working with a lot of different people, and. At this moment right now, a lot of it is just being still Hmm. is my goal. And there's so much going on um, personally in my local sphere, um, in like a national and global sphere that... those All of those different worlds that I operate in... I just, I I need to, I'm using stillness as a way yeah. 
to assess what is happening and what happened and mm. a lot of the things that maybe I missed while I was busy trying to take care of myself and um, do my own thing and yeah. just kind of like sit and take it in. How the world's treating me is like it's such a mix uh, of things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many different ways. Well, the world's big. It does a lot yeah, of different stuff. Yeah. It does a lot of different things. Like part of it's a lot of love and gratitude has been coming my way lately, which I'm super grateful for. Um, there's been a lot of confusion for me this year hmm. with my relationships and just uh, my eyes being open to different things, you know, like the things we let into our lives um, and learning from from those things yeah. mm -hmm. and learning how to do things differently in the future. Yeah, so, so without getting into any of the specifics of anything yeah, you don't I'm, want to share. I'm being no, and super you can vague. Keep the vague. <laughs> we'll live in the vagueness with you. Yeah, We're here for it. I but, appreciate it. Uh, w without having to share any of the specifics if you don't want to, are there particular lessons from those challenges that you've learned this year that you're excited to carry with you into the next one? Hmm. Yeah, one, one big one is just to realize that, uh, and similar to, I mean, honestly, I was surprised when y'all reached out to me to be, hmm. to be on the show. Why? Because, because I, I, I know people say this, and and I I'm sure they mean it when they say it, but I like legit mean it when I say it. I'm very uncomfortable in front of microphones, mm -hmm. and I'm usually like a background person. Yeah. I'm like a that kind of organizer that doesn't try to put my name out there intentionally because that's just where I'm comfortable. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the lessons that I'm learning and that, that I know, but I think I'm just continuing to, it, it's just reinforced in a lot of ways, is that even when you do the quiet work and even when you're in the background, like the people who need to see you, see you. Mm -hmm. right. And that it's it's not necessarily about everyone else um, seeing you or some kind of larger perception or uh, visibility for mm -hmm. me there are very um specific people that i'm i'm more interested in connecting with them and understanding how they see my work mm -hmm. than just like a general right. it's not i want a million people to see me it's right. i want these I want 10 20, 20 people. Yeah. people to see me yeah, yeah. so that's, yeah yeah so that's big i i, I so i want to put a pin in that because yeah. I definitely have some follow-up around visibility. I think that that's really, like, rich and deep, and I want to go into it. But I want to go back a little bit. And I have a little addendum. Uh, <laughs> and before, I'm, before I get to the addendum, I just want to always give credit uh, to, like, kind of my, my patron saints of, like, radical thought, which is James and Grace Lee Boggs. And so in their book, Revolution, Evolution, the 20th Century, they talk a lot about the concept of dialectics hmm. and how through moving through contradiction, right, we have this process basically of always developing or potentially growing. It's not linear, but that process is always happening. And what good way that they name it is that there is a potential reality and an actual reality, right? Mm -hmm. So there's where we're at for real and where we could go. And anytime we raise our actual, our potential goes higher. Mm -hmm. And by raising our potential, right, 
our, our actual can go higher, right? And so the, the, the contradictions between where we are and where we could be. Yeah. Uh, so I want to go back to the first question, uh, and we don't we weren't going to get in the specifics of how the, it works. the owl the owl no no okay the, the <laughs> no, question one a we can move uh, past so so in, in not feeling comfortable about how the world is treating you and how you're treating the world, how do you want the world to be treating you? How do you want to treat the world? Hmm. I don't think I would change how I want to treat the world, but how I want the world to treat me. That's that's so complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, yup, yup, yup. <laughs> so if there's one piece you want to pull, you don't have to like everything, but yeah. yeah I that's that's so complicated. <laughs> I just I mean, I don't I I I don't necessarily think that I I have those kinds of expectations set on the world to, mm-hmm. for it to treat me any any kind of um, way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I I mean, as as cliche and like lessons for a three year olds as it may sound, it's like I just want the world to treat me how I treat it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I think that. That's complicated because a lot of how, because I, <laughs> y'all are trying to take me to therapy We're right going now. there. Okay. <laughs> we, we put in a couch this week. <laughs> but for, for just to, so that you know, we will also go there with it. It's not just, yeah. okay. I'll, I'll answer for me. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's just, I, I think that I um, internalize a lot mm-hmm. of, I have a I feel like I have a really complicated way of um doing the work that I do and living my life hmm. in a way that's that's really kind of extremely I I take a lot of time to consider and anticipate how other people are responding or reacting to the moves that I make in the world. Right. And that can be people I know, people I don't know, but um one of one of the qualities that I've realized about myself is is that is that a lot of my decision making is based on how I anticipate others will respond right. mm-hmm. and um, how I understand the energy that I put out into the world and how it impacts people. Right. And sometimes it's to to a fault to the point where I'm considering other folks more than I'm considering myself. Right. So. I think that if I wanted the world, how I want the world to treat me is how I actually treat it. But the world actually doesn't know how I treat it because a lot of the things that, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I hide from it. So, um, but you are also the world, so the world knows. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I, maybe, I hope so. I, I hope so. I, this yeah. rings so yeah, so true. No, get, this get is like there. right. I feel like we're speaking the same language and and it it actually makes sense even just based off the surface level of what kinds of things you make and and that you you were talking about being in the taking a step back and in that curatorial role or in that production role or in the Mm -hmm. person who brings the pieces together and uh, just personally for me one of the biggest lessons of the last year of my life has been like it's not uh, like it's not all one thing you you can ask or demand or push or want the recognition from the people that you want it from and that's not the same thing as being greedy or taking someone else's thing or pushing someone else to the margin like being seen 
doesn't isn't inherently uh, shitty for lack mm-hmm. of a better for lack of a better term. Like asking to be seen, wanting your labor, your creativity, your contributions to be recognized is a is is of value. And and at least for me, like it takes a long time, especially. And I know for me, part of why I went toward the production work mm-hmm. is because I knew that there was a role for me, and I knew I could contribute that way without like the validation needing to come from how many people were seeing it. Um, so I'm curious for you, uh, I'm going to bounce it back to you, but we'll make it a little more, a little easier this time. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, over the course of this year and in the things you're making and in all these collaborations, uh, have there been particular collaborations that have felt healthier than others? And what for you makes like a healthy collaboration? Yes. It's a hard question. We're, we can I mean, open it it's, up. A, yeah. it's a hard question, but that's all of these questions are so. <laughs> we, we woke up like thorough today. <laughs> I didn't wake cold. up. I didn't wake up flawless, but I woke up thorough. <laughs> so healthy collaborations. Mm-hmm. I seek out or try to create the types of environments when I'm the one at the helm. Right. Um, I try to create the type of environments that I would want to be in. Right. So healthy collaborations to me means a lot of leeway, mm. a lot of learning as you go, not being too prescriptive, not trying to lay down too many restrictions or be rigid. Um, the healthiest of collaborations allow for failure without shame, mm-hmm. allow for um, people to change their minds or change how they do things to grow and evolve. And... And I, I think that there there have been, there have been some of those, but this year has been particularly challenging, with collaborations that have started off seeming that way, yeah. but then have devolved into being something completely different. And you know, it's amazing how deep those wounds get from that kind of thing. Because we think about like intimacy in our personal relationships, yeah. but when you're making something with someone and then it goes wrong or gets hard or the terms change or whatever, like this, those same patterns of what make can make a personal relationship hurtful. You know, they exist in the way people relate, whether there's yeah. work in the center of it or just a relationship. So a, a request, and then I'll get to some questions. <laughs> yeah. uh, one, just for the listeners, yeah. I yeah. would love... Oh, we didn't talk about what you do at all. Yeah, I would love to just oh, contextualize. Because yeah. <laughs> we're getting into like the very internal. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I know, I know, I know. No, it's and, our I know. fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just want to make sure. So is there a, a way... Because I, I don't think I could effectively do it. Uh, yeah. Could you name some of the work and some of the spaces that you're operating in so, yeah. that, so that we can unpack for, for folks who are unfamiliar? Yes. Um... So where to start? Okay. So first and foremost, I am uh, Tempest Hazel, the daughter of James and Sherry Hazel. Shout out to James <laughs> and Sherry. Damn. James and Sherry. Moms and pops oh. are <laughs> killing it. <laughs> Doing the damn thing. Yes. Aunt, auntie of 18 nieces and nephews. Ooh. I tell people that all the time. Oh, my That's God. big time. Sister to five siblings um, uh, from Peoria, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And... Then beyond that, I'm also um, a writer, a curator, uh, an organizer, and I I call myself an artist advocate, which I get a lot of questions about, which I don't understand. (laughs) And then um, I'm also the founder and um, director, for lack of a better 
name were really non-hierarchical, but for the sake of like nonprofit structures uh-huh. and people understanding, I'm the director of 60 Inches from Center, okay, which is okay. a, um, a online arts publication and archiving initiative. And then I'm also the arts program officer at the Field Foundation, uh, which we give grants to arts and justice organizations. Um, and what else do I do? Uh, yeah. So that's, 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 that's enough. That's a lot. Yeah. That's most of it. Yeah. So <laughs> I still have that pen invisibility. I don't want to, I don't want to pull it out yet. That's fine. I want to stay back to collaborations and, um, what's a way to describe what was being said? Um, the way that imbalances occur mm-hmm. or fissures happen or toxicity enters into spaces that we hope to be liberatory. Yeah. Right? Is, does that sound accurate as to to what you were like naming or experiencing a little bit? Yeah. So my, my question <laughs> is how much of that just has to do with money? Because I believe, hmm. and from my experience, hmm. in doing the work of trying to make the world a better place, once money and institutional resources get involved because I believe the dollar to be a debt-based instrument mm-hmm. and debt to be a toxic yeah. basis of relationship, that moneyed relationships do not go well more times than they do and that they cause imbalance. So how often or where is that playing in there? We don't talk about money enough up here. It's true. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're talking to a person who uh, works for a foundation. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And... and <laughs> Works Not for a foundation that. <laughs> well, actually, you know, like I'm lucky enough to work for the probably like one of the more radical foundations yeah. in Chicago. So, I don't think they would have a problem with me speaking my truth um, <laughs> about this, and my my colleagues for sure know how, how I feel about right. things because philanthropy isn't my background. Like this is my first time being in it, mm-hmm. so I kind of bring a different lens to yeah. the situation and a lot of interrogation that was probably unexpected but expected Mm -hmm. but to your question like i think i think money i think money has a lot to do with it but at the same time my how i think how i think about hmm, i think money has a lot to do with it but at this moment where the power around that money lies is in a lot of folks in well okay so maybe maybe to me it's less a conversation about money specifically and more a conversation about like value mm-hmm. in different ways mm-hmm. um and money's just the like most money's one of them yeah yeah, yeah. yeah but i i do think that that money is a factor, but it's one of several factors in, like, what I'm talking about. Okay. And it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for, like, unfortunately, the truth is that we live in a capitalist country. Unfortunately, the truth is that in order for us to get our daily needs met, money has to be an element of that. So, which is why I'm a, I call myself an artist advocate because um, I work to get resources to artists in ways that are as unrestricted as possible, mm-hmm. um, where they retain a lot of autonomy and where I'm pretty hands-off in how they um, how they take those resources and use them or take the opportunity that comes with those resources. Mm-hmm. So I think money is a factor in, in a lot of instances. But for me, 
I really try to think about not necessarily money, especially I'm totally against of being kind of like beholden to someone because they're giving you money. Right. Like I don't, that's something that I don't re- subscribe to at all. Um, whether it's in a job or whether it's in a get any, yeah, any yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, a lot of the things that we, and when I say we, I mean specifically like POC, queer women, um, uh, the, all of these folks that are, that are getting this kind of like strange spotlight by, and, and, and the folks with money, different folks with Mm -hmm. money are trying to like rope them into their, their spheres Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. is we, we need to do a better job of understanding our value within that, which Mm -hmm. is why I talk about value and how we, how, how to hold, hold our own power and sit in our own power within that conversation. Mm -hmm. Because I, I think that, um, <laughs> like a, uh, about a year ago, I sat on a panel at um, uh, the MCA talking about. That? Did you hate having to be on a panel? I, d- you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't. I didn't really. It, I do. I do those things when I have to. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I really think hard about doing them. Mm-hmm. But what the great thing about being there. And being on that panel was was a conversation about kind of like that that power system and and money and and um and all of those things. But the truth of the matter is, and what felt really good to say in that space to the person who asked the question is that we don't <laughs> our creativity and value and just like what comes out of our brains and our fingertips and the work that we do is so rich and incredible. And it that's not, you know, that's not, I'm not exaggerating. Like we right. all know this. We all know this as truth. And now as people are scratching to try and like get, um, to get, be connected to or tied to that well of, of just amazingness, amazing ideas, amazing artists, amazing thinkers, ama- all these folks, it it puts us in this position to like say no, yeah. to really establish our own terms of mm-hmm. how how things are done, mm-hmm. and and to negotiate money <laughs> within the situation. Yeah. Um, I might be completely no, digressing I'm, on I'm, all of this. I know exactly. It sounds like what you're saying is that. Like just because those folks are willing or are reaching out, they're reaching out because they see value that within their structure that you might not necessarily know because you haven't been in it. And so that then in that you have more like they are going to try to make you feel indebted to them for opening the door. Right. But actually, like you're the one who holds the cards. You're the one with the leverage. Right. And I just. Because money's not a real resource. It's It's, it's an abstraction. Yeah. So at a certain point. There, you, you, all you can do is buy stuff with it. So mm-hmm. if you need something to happen, you also need people right. to make yeah. it work. So right. we do have the power because we're the people. Yeah. And and I I just want more people to recognize that. And I think that um, a lot of my work, a lot of the work that I do, I try to carry that in it. I try to recognize the need for money for people and and be able to to offer that, but then to also offer it 
under different terms mm-hmm. that people aren't usually given, which is like autonomy, not yeah. being guilted, not feeling beholden to anybody, um, or even to me, which is mm-hmm. also comes back to kind of like the question before of the challenges of when when I structure kind of like how I work around this autonomy and openness and flexibility, um, it also allows for a lot of failure. So I have yeah. to like, re- I am at a point right now where this year was full of a lot of different things that had different level of success, levels mm-hmm. of success, mm-hmm. but there was also a, a decent amount of failure that I have to like sit with yeah. at the end of the year and kind of like be like, okay, well, um, what can we do differently? Or what do we just say, well, that happens and keep it moving. And that's an internal thing for the most part, at least for me. How about for you? How do you think, Dame, about like when things, (laughs) quote, fail? When things, quote, fail? Like things you put a lot of energy into. You're like, oh, we didn't. So so here's an example of like, I just feel like I failed. And I'll try to pull out the lesson mm-hmm. I got from So it was, no, it was not around this time last year. It was about a year and a half ago. There was a lot of work, you know, as an abolitionist and, you mm-hmm. know, trying to be more explicit and tangible in that politic instead of just saying it or yeah. writing it or tweeting it or rapping it or, you know, circling, mm-hmm. workshopping it. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a big push to, um, for, for, you know, especially to politicize the, you know, money bail mm-hmm. uh, to free mothers on mother's day yeah uh and so it was happening in other places where they had different type of bail systems mm-hmm. and throughout the city and, i mean throughout the country uh and i tried to take on the responsibility of like once i heard about it, of trying to like organize that happening here in chicago uh, and I reached out to a bunch of people was like excited was like trying to get it going uh and just like did not keep up with the pace of correspondence did not like double triple check on folks uh also just like our bail system and like trying to work with bond yeah. fund yeah uh it just it, it was not the same process of like oh we can just show up and just like do it and then like walk away uh and so i just felt really really incompetent and really really embarrassed and really like over over shooting hmm. uh and it just helped me kind of uh understand or it was a step in one accepting that and like in the moment when i was like at the point of tears in front of people in the meeting like when it was like ah this is not gonna work uh it was like all right i know that i just failed right now (laughs) Uh, and like i was trying very well to like you know grab the wisdom that so many of you like the failure is where you grow where you learn Mm -hmm. uh and so you know Really just figuring out how to be processed basis. I'm doing something right now that I, I won't talk about publicly that's like a lot of vulnerable people, you know, are in need and trying to like mobilize the resources. Just realizing, you know, one, the time frame of it, the fact that it was a performative thing for the holiday uh, is probably what I learned and how we need to stop uh, being so beholden to the artificial calendar and clock mm-hmm. that are also abstractions. Yeah, and that if you're in it for the long haul and this is what you do, like... Mm-hmm. It's just the first time. Yeah, you just, like it, it's not everything. It's just the first time you try it. Yeah. So are the things that like either this year happened or moving forward that are like picking the pieces back up and and, and trying again that you're excited to take on. It's so hard because so my I feel like there's no beginning and end to my work. <sighs> it happens yeah. in seasons in yeah. different ways. Yeah. So it's almost. You know, I, I talk a lot about being able to find time to sit down and reflect on things because I am um, 
as you can see with my long pauses after you answer, ask questions, <laughs> it takes me a, a minute to get through things. I really think, yeah. I, I don't know if it's just like how my mind works or what what the deal is. And it's also probably why I don't do public speaking a lot because I'm the mm. person who's like, Hmm. Like, you know, like, sitting there for Just a couple pondering. minutes, like, let me look, give me a second. You know, that being said, way more people should pause. Yeah, it's a good thing. I Think mean, about what you're gonna say, and then yeah, before you say it. I, yeah. It, it, yeah. So it's it's hard to know what it's a keep it moving kind of thing. And yeah. when I and I say failure, not with a negative connotation either. I won't. I want to yeah, yeah. make that clear because. I think failure is part of the process, and I'm such a—the process to me is the most important part. It's what I spend my mo- the most time doing. Mm-hmm. So it's—I don't, I don't know. It's not— It's not like round two. It's like just—it yeah, continues. It just mm-hmm. continues. It's yeah. just like learn as you go. Learn yeah. as you go. It's like, okay, that's how that happens. Are y'all ready to, to pull the, the visibility pin? Sure. All right, it's pulled out. As it's pulled out, just this is just a little uh, little throwaway for the for the listeners. <laughs> Throw it away. Uh, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but just in, it, I just want to give it to somebody who's listening with ADD. Want to point to the rabbit uh-huh. hole? Go 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 look through this. So during my last uh, medium shroom dosage, uh-huh. this question came to me, uh-huh. and we don't have to answer it. Medium versus low or high? Yeah. So I was going to okay. say a micro dose, but it was not that. <laughs> But it wasn't like I was tweaking, you know, like listen, it was a very like productive, creative, like like, mm-hmm. you know, more, almost therapeutic medicinal. Yeah. You know what it was? It was a calculated. It was a sturdy dose. A sturdy dose. It was it was a sturdy. <laughs> yeah, that is one of my words. It was definitely sturdy. Um So yeah, just something I was just thinking about. It's like very basic, but I feel like I never had the question asked to me. Hmm. What would you do if you could not buy food? That's just like a very basic, like, don't think about, like, there's a bunch of different reasons why you couldn't buy it. It's not food in the store. You don't have money. Food's just not for sale anymore. Just what would you do? You couldn't buy food. <laughs> you ask this question and don't want to stand. We could go down the hole if you want, but I feel like that's What a do hole. you mean? That's what I mean. Oh, Damon. Just think about that <laughs> and then how the world works. And then that, I think that puts you in a deeper place. Yeah. Go ahead. You, I had a finger yes. up. Yes, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. We'll get to visit. And you don't have to have an I'll answer, put the visibility pin back, back in. in. <laughs> it's not a toothpaste tube situation. You can you get it out. I mean, so I have questions. All yeah. right. Yeah. All right. We can go down so, this rabbit hole. <laughs> this was just because we were talking about Buddy. And okay. Goodness. That's why I wanted to bring it up. So then <laughs> do you already have food to start with? No. Is it so you don't have you any need food, food and you can't, you can't buy, buy it. it? So you don't. I mean, in your pantry, you don't have like some oranges or anything nope. like that. Our brain often is not even prepared to go there. Is there food in other places? There's can food you, everywhere. You can take food. It's the sta- it's the same earth. You just, <laughs> you, you just can't buy it for some reason. Maybe other people can't. It, there's there are multiple hypothetical possibilities. Right, so the options here that I see are you yeah. beg you beg for food, you take food, you, you grow, grow food, food, but that takes a while. Mm-hmm. You eat things that we don't think of as food but are nutritional. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the only options I can think of. Yeah. This is an I mean, insane question. It's an insane question because because my mind goes to like But it's so essential. It's the, like yeah. almost the only thing we all have to do every day. I go to a million different answers. So I I immediately think, okay, if I can't buy food, who do I know who has ur- does urban ag or has right. like yeah. places that I could then barter or exchange mm-hmm. my services or my work for 
you know. Yeah, can I offer curation? <laughs> is, that, is that a viable? I mean, I'm not beyond. You curate for food. I'm not beyond getting my hands dirty though. <laughs> no, I so know. <laughs> you know, I'll end up, you know, at one of the spots, um, uh, like a, a, I don't know, like a Sweetwater Urban Garden or yeah, Urban Farmers. You know, mm-hmm. all of, all those folks. I might end up over there just trying to like what you need, what mm-hmm. you need organized, what you need moves. Mm-hmm. Can I get can I get some collards? I think that's that's the is find someone who has an abundance, like a real abundance and like a sustainable abundance and see what I can contribute to them in exchange. Mm-hmm. What what would you say? Uh I like that answer. Yeah, so you know, the, the where it came from was just like thinking of like systems and liberation. Uh you know, I would probably figure out how to steal or try to cooperate. Uh, but what it got me to is like a much deeper place of how we should look at restorative accountability. Because hmm. uh, there's so many questions we don't ask before we try hmm. to address harm and behavior. Uh, and so then I started thinking about murder, which I'll try not to go to. But I, the question should be... Is, is this a, a meat is murder vegan type No, situation? no. But like if when we have heard of harm... Like mm-hmm. and then murder being like the most egregious harm. Do we ask the question, when is the last time that person ate or slept? Because if you heard that somebody killed somebody and the first thing you heard about them was they hadn't ate or slept in thirty six to seventy two hours, mm-hmm. you would understand that behavior. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And we never asked that question. So mm-hmm. then I was like, if you have ate or slept, how should you be accountable to harm? Huh. Right? Yeah. And like that being the the framework. Like have you had a place to sleep and have you mm-hmm. been able to eat today? And if not, that is obviously what is at the root of any of any interaction. I just want to say, shout out to your girlfriend for putting up with you. Oh yeah, it was <laughs> it was great. It was a great time. I'm like, no, do you hear? Oh, I'm sorry. No, just, it was like that. I was like, no, do you hear what I'm asking? Do you get? Have you ever thought of that before? All right, that was the rabbit hole. Pin out. Do you have anything you want to add to that rabbit hole yes, before yes, we yes. zoom out? Let's not close I, it. Yeah, I. I mean. <laughs> This is unlike any episode we've ever done, and I love it so much. I did sleep enough last night. I'm very sorry. What have you eaten, though? <laughs> that was I know. <laughs> I, so my, my question then to you is like, uh, is... I'm here. Are you, what, how do you know that people don't ask that question? Like, when you say we don't ask that enough, how, how are, what is that tethered to? Who asking? Do you mean, like, on... Um, in like a public sphere, in like a media sphere, in like the conversations or the commentary that happens out in the world. Because I feel like that's the first place that I go to when I hear about all of the things that happen. It's like what's of going like, on with them? What's going on with that person? Like what would cause like trying to get to the mm-hmm. the cause of why someone would do something like that and not come from a place of making assumptions mm-hmm. or judgments. But I also because um I'm such an internal person. Mm-hmm. I do that internally. No. Like that's what runs through my mind. It's like, what, it's like what's I don't going tweet on about it. Yeah. You know, like I, <laughs> I do it internally, and I'm just thinking, trying to understand, which is why I get such a lack of fulfillment when it comes to media and reporting mm-hmm. on different yeah. things right. because you never you you hear about it in like the first 48 hours of whatever mm-hmm. happens, and then especially if you're watching first 48. <laughs> <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Don't, don't, we can't go down the rabbit hole of like <laughs> those reality prime shows. Uh, yeah, can't do it. Um, but I, yeah, I feel like that's. I ask that question all the time. Do you? Like, what's going yeah. on in their life? So yeah. I, I, I've heard it that way, right? But then trying to like the, so that's uh, that can be loose 
or still abstract and trying to get it to as tangible and as human as possible because it was like in realizing that is the only thing those are like two outside of like breathing mm-hmm. the two things that every person needs on a day or otherwise they are in dire yeah. situation yeah. right you go one day without eating or sleeping you are almost in an emergency mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by the time you get to 36 hours and so i've heard like trying to get a background but getting it to that tangible of letting in in media obviously no they don't even ask really anything mm-hmm. but even in like very radical, very restorative spaces. You know, we get to healing. We, we get, get to, to like trauma. They had to, to move. They're in there. It's argument yeah. with we their parents. Power, they have, yeah. But like literally 24 hours, first things first, hmm. eat or sleep mm-hmm. as a question. Mm-hmm. And then we evaluate from there. I had never heard it in with that specificity. I think we have a new first question for the show. Yeah. Have you ate or slept? Have today? you eaten? Which <laughs> is incidentally also the first question my grandma asked. <laughs> that's why shout out to grandma. Out right? to grandma. They, they've been living, they figured it out. It's like that's first things first. Have you eaten today? Right. And 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 we go from there. Yeah, that's uh, so true. You know, and and that too, like to again no, go we, back. We can stay in it. We can stay in it. And um I think that's why when it's left up to me to organize different things. Um, and I think when when I say organize, I want to clarify. I ta- I'm talking about, like, mostly arts and culture type of work, of, mm-hmm. like, curatorial work um, and uh, writers and with my organization and stuff like that. The reason why I leave it so open uh, for people to come as they are and to, um, you know, be so loose with, deadlines and timeframes and those kinds of things is for that reason. Mm -hmm. Because I realized that um, everybody's capacity for how the day-to-day things that are happening in their life impact how they're able to move through and function in the world is different. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, um, to me, again, back to the, like, anticipating how other people are feeling— and that being just like a characteristic of mine that I don't know where it came from, but I'm I'm living with it. Yeah. It's it's from that question mm-hmm. of like, I don't know anyone's circumstances. Yeah. I'm not one to make assumptions. And it's how I want to be treated. Because right. on any given day, no one knows what it is that I'm dealing with or what I'm going through. And I would love for for folks to not need to know the details in order to have To be empathetic and to give me some leeway and to be like, okay, well, I'm going to give you an extra week for that. Or, you know, stay at home for that. Or, like, take a break. Or, you know, just like, or, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Just relax. Take your time. We'll check back in a couple days or something like that. Or even if the thing needs to get done that day, just Mm -hmm. knowing the cost, like the the cost of that on you. Yeah. <laughs> like even there's the the version where there's more space opened up, and then there are sometimes things where there is no more space. Like mm-hmm. it actually does have to happen then. But being like, even though I'm still pushing for this, I recognize the toll this is taking. I'm not assuming that this is just fine or you like all begrud- in the work. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know. Um, what the hell are all of us empaths gonna do? This is just a hard. It's know. a hard. Yeah. It's a hard knock empathetic life. You know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Visibility time? Yeah. That's All right. So as we talk about visibility, I want to be aware of like where I'm coming from. And so I want to I want to check with you first. Mm-hmm. So in getting ready for the show, right? Like looked at your website. Uh, not a lot of pictures of you, right? Like Instagram. Probably none. <laughs> Instagram is private, right? And then yeah. you kind of 
<laughs> speaking in the first like 10 minutes about like how you operate in the world and how you're very internal like lined up with that um and so in terms of your relationship to public space and public facing work and visibility what is the balance between it being uh just like personal comfort <laughs> and like a political <laughs> choice hmm. because i think i have uh much more political questions but i don't want to go there if it is you know more of a personal just like that's just who you is oh, all the questions this was just a warm up before we got to <laughs> so i mean i th- i do think it's personal um mm-hmm. i do think that i'm just uh as a person i fidget under the spotlight mm-hmm. and even though people say that I don't, I feel internal yeah. fidgeting happens. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's you can't see it, it, it happens. I break a sweat all the time when I'm in public speaking, mm-hmm. and I hate that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I actually like um, I legit in a cer- to a certain extent blackout depending mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. and I just go through the motions and I right. deliver whatever to, you know the talk or whatever, um, and. So that's that's kind of it's kind of a visceral reaction that I have okay. to visibility in a way, and that has ended up shaping how I move through the world. Um, but then on the flip side of that, over the years of of having to still maneuver and understand the moments when I do have to step in front of um, a microphone or a spotlight or whatever, uh, it's mostly been it's. I see, I see it is I can see a certain amount of uh strategy within that within taking a step back and it's much more there are a few things so I think the my my physical discomfort with visibility um it allows for a kind of uh, how do I explain it when so so the the folks who are super quiet and I don't I don't mean to align myself with anybody that's like uber prolific or anything mm-hmm. like that but I think that the less you talk then when you talk people listen more mm-hmm. and because I'm such an intentional person when it comes to my words and how I move through the world it it combines my very intentional like overly thought through way of um, being public and and I can think about that in a way that it's like, I know that folks are going to listen, so let me make it count. Let me do this. Mm-hmm. Let me really think about what it is that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's strategic in that way. Um, and it just, it just, it allows for a kind of freedom to not have all of my moves interrogated, too. Yeah. And to be able to move freely in a way that you can't, you just can't do when you're, under a spotlight all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to, you know, and there are a couple roles that can happen in, in that, that you, you talked about both the, like the curatorial and the archivist. And even to some degree, I think writing, you know, it's, it is performance in certain ways, but you have the, the privacy and the intimacy of like yeah. your pad, your laptop, yeah. your room. Um, and we, you know, we've gone all the way in, but we, I want to like stay at the surface for a second mm-hmm. uh, and talk about, uh, the like how you think about archives and this is a hmm. we're gonna do a pivot but uh, you know we, we talk about this work as a form of archive of the folks doing work in the city and trying to capture this moment uh, 
that being said, we're, I've been wondering like whether it can be an archive at this point if it just sits on our SoundCloud page, like the the physicality of archive. Um, and so I'm wondering for you, what does archive mean in your work? What what sustains, or 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 what are you trying to build when it comes to the archive work? A lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Recently, I can't remember who said it that before they moved, it might have been a friend of mine, but like before they moved to Chicago, that the conversation around archives, it it just, it wasn't something that they heard about Mm -hmm. a lot. And I found that to be really interesting um, that Chicago is so steeped in understanding what it means to collect objects, collect stories uh, for many different reasons. Archives for me... I think, um, and your question was, what What are you trying to build? What 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 is an archive in this way with the ethics that you described before look like? Yeah, art. Well, let me let me start with how I see archives functioning um, in my work or how I think about them. A lot of the work, like the work that you're doing of um, recording people's stories and and a lot of the work that 60 does of recording and archiving, um, it's future casting or like future mm-hmm. visioning yeah. in a lot of ways. So there's, it's, it's because the work of um, like writers and scholars and curators and the folks who kind of construct history in a way and, and package it in a way that turns into books and exhibitions and different things like that. Yeah. Um, it's we have to think toward those folks, I think. And yeah. a lot of my work is is thinking toward what are the artists and the archivists and the curators and the and the writers of the of the future going to need. Yeah. And how mm-hmm. do we work now to start <laughs> to build like a counter narrative to what if we just let it go and we don't really think about um what is being archived and cataloged and made available for those history shapers. Um, If we just let that go, then we'll just end up with the same problematic canons and histories and stories that we've been told to get us to this point of where we're like disrupting and questioning everything where, you know, like I found it really interesting that this Thanksgiving (laughs) was like a mix of why are we so ce- you know it was like why are we celebrating this thing without being honest about it yeah. and why are so many people willing to acknowledge that it's problematic but still perpetuate it as this in in this yeah. mythology of like gratitude and <laughs> being thankful mm-hmm. and all of these things and i think that that in part is because we're in a moment where a whole like multiple generations of people we're taught this like skewed history. Now we're getting the layers peeled back and revealing all of the problems within that. And we're in a moment of having to try and reconcile yeah, that. It's chaos. Yeah. yeah. So then to think to the future of like the hope for the future is that the norm will be writing about, reading about, learning about these histories, yeah. these honest, full histories. Um and learning about artists who aren't part of a canon of the past. Mm-hmm. And the right. canon of the future is hopefully something that is much mm. more inclusive and normal. 
the canon of the future. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you said that before? I ha- I have Make a thing out of that. That's a Make thing. A thing. That's Make a thing. thing. The canon of the future. Yeah. I hereby copyright. <laughs> <laughs> That's like it's like declaring bankruptcy. <laughs> Shout out Michael Scott. Yeah. <laughs> but what you were saying about like what are the what are the people in the future going to need from this moment? It's something that informs a lot of how we do what we do because I remember when we were first starting Damon, you, I mean, you you can yeah. say, it, but the stuff about like yeah. there being these clips, yeah. So so you know, uh, when there's like this, we've almost mythologized it now. We really just had a lunch. <laughs> uh, Shout out the, to Ninety Miles Cuban Cafe. <laughs> but you know, we we sat down and like you know talked about the idea. You know, something that you know Kiss have been working on, and like you know how could we collaborate and, and why would we do it and what would it be? Uh, and so at that point, I was probably like six to nine months into movement work and already felt like the responsibility of a hundred generations on mm-hmm. my shoulder. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, at that time coming out of school was like, even before being politically active, had a, a deep hunger uh, for the history of like the black r- radical tradition, specifically the black power iteration of the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just like, you know, through my papers at school, my senior year, just like realizing how difficult it was to get all the books of the story and like how limited I felt in terms of like knowing the names and really being able to speak uh, with, you know, some confidence about this history. Uh, and then really doing like a YouTube search hmm. for to get all of the, you know, firsthand content of Angela and Huey and Fred Hampton um, and specifically Fred Hampton as a Chicagoan hmm. in total. And I've searched many, many hours there's probably like 90 to 100 minutes of like Fred Hampton footage and audio, right? Like, and, and they might get sliced and diced and put in different places. But once you actually break it down, there is very limited. And even the like narrative of his book, like the, the assassination of Fred Hampton, every other chapter is about the lawyer, mm-hmm. right? So only like half of the first half of the book is actually <laughs> about his life because the second half is about his death and the trial, right? So there's only like four chapters in like 90 minutes about this amazing leader. Pivotal person. You know, like there's very few, like in the history of the world that you can kind of like put him next to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I felt like my contemporaries were in that tradition Mm -hmm. uh, and of that legacy and had that potential. Uh, And so just having 60 minutes of unadulterated just conversation about their life, how valuable that would be 20, 30, 40 years from now when the next iteration, once they get a new black president, then they go to sleep again (laughs) and everything's all good. And then white people start (laughs) acting crazy. It's like, oh, shit, we got to figure it back out. (laughs) It's like, okay, word. At least we know in Chicago, right? Like this is what (laughs) the people who like stood up and, Mm -hmm. you know, hopefully succeeded. Hopefully it's not all martyrdom and tragedy. Right. and we can tell our own story right. and we don't, you know. We but don't even then the more. story you tell at 60 is going to be different from the story you tell on this show, exactly. right? Mm-hmm. And you're going to mythologize yourself so and misremember capsule, and all this the stuff. The time capsule of it, of like this is what you said about you when you were 28, mm-hmm. right? Uh, theoretically. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that's probably like the mean age of our guest. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, what y'all looking at? I'm not 28. Um, but also, too, you know, it's interesting that... that um, how we remember things and particularly like with the thinking about um, the black arts movement and the black power movement and the, the globally, not to mention like in Chicago is thick right now, but it's thick Super globally thick. as well. And T-I-A- just people. T-H-I-C-C. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, people are like really chiming into and tapping into and wanting to uplift that history what I find um, somewhat problematic with that, though, and to to your point and why I think 
that the work that you're doing is so so important um, in recording these folks is that hit our memories, our collective memories, for some reason, like to select a very short list of people to right. represent right. these times right. when the truth of the matter is, is that there were a lot of different exactly. players. Right. And I think that that's, that, to me, connects back to the question of the archives because the archives tend to have record of that. It's a little bit wild and sometimes uncatalogued or sometimes deep or sometimes it's the hundredth box that you pull right. that you mm-hmm. find that important nugget of information. But there are a lot of people who are lost in history mm-hmm. because because the the folks shaping history decide to pull certain names right. and certain people to be kind of like the representative right. of, of the whole thing when it's Or not. that person who gets chosen was just because they spoke the loudest. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. saying that's the case in yeah. this case, but in general, like sometimes it's not just the archiver, it's the people who made themselves most easily archived. Right. Yeah, Western consciousness is so individualistic and mm-hmm. so representative. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, the individual representative. Yeah. Like, let's not talk about the whole hundred years. Let's just talk about Martin Luther King. Right, right. Like, right. like right. we did a day, like that is all right. the black struggle is in this one man who... You know, led yeah. marches. You know? Yeah. So to connect it to your work, what is the what is the hole that you're trying to show with sixty or with other archiving uh, initiatives and stuff like that? I, um, you'll you'll never hear me say anything about a hole of mm-hmm. anything because I think that mm-hmm. uh, everything, uh, every moment, every history, every memory is is. Fractured, mm-hmm. always. <laughs> mm. um, even my memory of what I did this morning and how I got to work. Like, there are minutes that I don't remember. Um, <laughs> so I think that what I'm... There are a few things that I'm really interested in doing, and it's just, like, modeling ways of doing this work, I think. It's it's really not meant for some, to be something that is, like, this is my signature thing and I want to hold on to it. It's like, no, actually, I just want to show you that this is this is cool. This is an interesting process. Why don't you go and do it? Like yeah. you and you're interested in archives, you're interested in in history and really thinking about um, how the stories that we tell ourselves are shaped, then get into it. Like let's let's do it. Yeah. And with 60, it's it's also more so, again, it's disrupting this idea of the canon through the archive. Hmm. And inserting into like a lot of, I don't, I don't want to share all the, all the secrets. You can um, keep, your secrets. keep a couple, keep your secrets. <laughs> we will listen but, to them, but you can keep them. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, one of one of the strategies for sixty, and one that I find interesting that I bump up against sometime in conversation is that, like, we're very calculated with how explicit we are about who. Um, our team is and who we're working for and on mm. um, with and on behalf of. And those who know 60 um, know that we do focus on artists of color, queer artists, women artists, artists a- along certain margins or what folks would consider margins. I have problems with the term yeah. margin, mm-hmm. but... Mm-hmm. Um, so like, we you don't, think you're the center? I know. <laughs> yeah. and it's just very linear. It's very capitalist. Yeah, yeah, and and it's but we so we we don't say that like our the name of the organization doesn't speak that you won't see it like right. emblazoned. But 
and a perceptive person scrolling through our articles will start to understand that there's a trend here, mm-hmm. that there are certain right. folks who are highlighted and then other things that aren't. Mm-hmm. And we don't necessarily feel the need to be um, uh, explicit about that simply because, and that's like a strategic move um, on our part, because... Again, that future casting, like we're working right now for that future canon and thinking like and operating in the way that we want that future canon to be and how we want it to look. And in that future canon, we don't have to necessarily say we can we can pick and choose and artists can pick and choose and self-identify, but we don't have to always lead with some of these identity markers that people like force us to in order to understand our position or our value or all of these things. Right. Like we we or commodify want, it. Yeah. yeah. We want the artists that are represented in our publication to be the norm. Because for us they are. Right. For us they are just like this is the artistic landscape of Chicago. Right. And this is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it just happens to be hella queer and hella hella hued, hella you know, like it that just Hued. happens to be what <laughs> you know, that just happens to be what it is. So I think that That could be a way to shade white people unhued. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had a term early on a friend of a lesser shade. Of a lighter shade or a lesser shade, something like that. <laughs> I mean, lesser shade and lighter shade, I or think, two are two things. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yes. yeah, so that's kind of how we're thinking about so things. So let's, let's let's stay with, with, with 60 for a second um, and get into to a little bit of the, the Belle Biv DeVoe moment of it all. Uh, and I, and I, I Which Belle Biv DeVoe wait, moment? I'll explain. But wait a minute. Okay. Yeah, you, yeah, you got right to it. Out. You were ready. Yeah, you were ready. I, ready I, wish, I wish, man, we got to get cameras there. <laughs> Um, (laughs) uh, so, you know, you, you said like not explicitly talking about like centering the marginalized and we can like critique the limitations of that language. Mm -hmm. Uh, but once I heard the, hear the name, I do explicitly, maybe because, you know, that's my type of shit, but like I do explicitly see the shape of a circle and a nucleus and the people who are left on at the circumference Mm -hmm. or a page and like the outlines and like bringing that to them. So I would like to get into the moment. Of, so what I say, the Belle Biv DeVoe moment, it's really uh, <laughs> silly and, and has nothing to do with anything. It's really a ridiculous thing that I made up, and like a joke that I'm just like, I won't let die. Uh, but I, I just think of Belle Biv DeVoe as this like subset of new edition. And they were like the cast offs <laughs> who were like, <laughs> who were not going to all have solo careers by themselves. Like Mike and uh, the rest were like, uh, Johnny Gill were out doing it. Uh, but then they had this one song. <laughs> That is an amazing song. It became the song of the New Jack era. And they had no other songs, but they could you could hear Belle Biv DeVoe is doing a play somewhere, and they can sell tickets to this day almost 25 years later. It's probably more than 25 years later. So I try to go back to that moment. Where they played wow, it back. We are the cast-offs. And they first hear that bass line. And they first find find that high note. And it's like, oh, we got it. This is it. Like, before other people were hearing it, uh, there's actually somebody on Vlad. It was one of the guys on Vlad. Might have been Bell. Might have been Biv. Not sure, right? Because they get they get blended together. Was talking about that moment. (laughs) And so when I think of something that's really clever. Or or hear something that's really clever or really a good name or title to something. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm. I wonder how that moment was when the magic 
came together in something that could last potentially, you know, could give you royalties to your children when you were about to fall off. Or for you could become the canon. You know, become yeah. the canon of the future. Uh, so I want to get into the naming. Yeah. Because I love names. Yeah. Uh, and so I make it silly with Belle Biv DeVoe. That has nothing to do with it. Uh, <laughs> of, of, of 60 Inches uh, and, 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 and the Where intentionality from, yeah. behind it in the moment. Yeah. It's a fancy way of saying So, 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 so what is that? What is the name? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so 60, 60 years from center, um, the name came from my, my original co-founder named Nicolette Caldwell. Um, she organized a show at Columbia College while we were there called 60 Inches from Center, and it um, featured different street artists it, like um, Brooks, who I mentioned, Brooks Golden, who I mentioned earlier, um, Hebrew Brantley, like a bunch of yeah. um, different artists. We really like that name, but the name comes from it's like it's it's metaphoric in a way, but the actual definition is like a curatorial inside joke. Mm-hmm. So sixty inches from center is is a typical standard that um, folks making exhibitions use in order to understand how to hang artwork. Ah. So sixty inches is like the average eye level of people. Mm. And so 60 inches from center is like if you take the center of a painting, you'll want to hang the center of it at 60 inches. So it'll be eye level for the people looking at it. And then you adjust accordingly depending on the size of the piece or, you know, how your your style of hanging or what space you're in. We got to rename the segment the 60 inches from center moment. (laughs) That is brilliant. Wow. That's so cool. So then as I mean, as the metaphoric piece of it is, of course, that question of margins Mm -hmm. and thinking about um, when we started, we were like very if you dig back into our old websites, our mission used to be very explicit to say that we are not in the business of giving more coverage to the central iconic art institutions of Mm -hmm. Chicago and that we're much more interested in the things happening outside of that. And then it has, you know, geographic implications because the center of, um, of culture for the most part in Chicago, or at least how the world may see it is in the loop (coughs) is the art Institute is the MCA um, is SAIC and all, you know, all of these different places that are, um, specifically downtown and for us we're more interested in like what's outside of yeah. that so you said it used to be more explicit in in, in that framing mm-hmm. what kind of it how, how has that evolved um it's it's evolved because we started off being like we want you yeah. to know yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Like we are defining an opposition. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So don't come at us if you're, you know, from one of these institutions trying to get us to cover your stuff because we're not going to do it. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so that was kind of like the start. Yeah. And um, it's evolved in a way that I think that it's become, you know, after over a thousand articles after, you know, doing a, a bunch of different events and working with a lot of people, I think people are starting to get what we do yeah. and how we do it and why we do it. So it we don't have to be that explicit anymore. And yeah. I think there's something I'm really intrigued by, again, like the quiet moves, the the stealth behavior of not having to scream things from the rooftops and just like, Instead of talking about it, just do it. Yeah. And instead of putting a label on it, just 
do it, <laughs> you know? And um, so it's in our decision-making. So when we have our editorial meetings and we're talking through what it is that we're covering, for instance, yeah. we'll try to sometimes we'll interrogate where we're entering into an idea or who who's the who's the focal point of your article. Yeah, it's versus, embodying these things rather than just performing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I'm being mindful of time, yeah, but yeah, we yeah. got So I, I was just feeling that that like yeah. we are probably gonna have to wind down. So I wanna I wanna circle back. Mm-hmm. Uh because we took the pen out and then we divert it. Mm. Uh and, and I wanna kinda like in because I think you've added some uh context that that uh it really has me intrigued and not wanting to challenge, but wanting to like just expand. Because yeah. uh, I hear where you come from personally in terms of, you know, tempestus. How do you po- how do you pluralize tempestus. or or possessify your name? I don't know. Tempests. Tempests. <laughs> Visibility. Um, and we talk about the importance of archiving and archivists and how so many get erased through the fractured memory of history. Uh, and so for me, as someone who grew up even like before I understood it, very hyper-visible, mm-hmm. uh, and then brought that visibility into like collective work and then f- felt the need to really challenge myself and like have to rearrange uh, how I operate and, and try to be much more aware of how I take up space, um, f- you articulate and function in a way that should really, really be seen and be archived itself. Hmm. And so, you know, because it's a it's a version of living that mm-hmm. is, you you know, right. It's a, yeah. Right. And so, you know, you, you've mentioned the intersections of blackness, womanhood and queerness. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I think in the black queer feminist future that we are trying to create, uh, you em- embody a lot of the intersections that we do want to center and that we do want to see and that we do want to highlight. Uh, and so politically. Right. Like, how do you kind of reconcile outside of just like gritting your teeth and doing it but like thinking for the canon of the future uh the fact that we should see you you know uh and and that you need to be seen how how does that how do you like kind of reconcile or feel in that or do you feel that that's kind of playing into that tokenization uh that you were weary of from the institutions that are trying to like drag you in and like hey look we got the black queer woman here and i feel like that was the central theme from like the introduction and as we're winding down i kind of want to like just get a f- some final thoughts on that. Yeah. I think about that a lot. I think about, like, <laughs> as as much as I really advocate for and probably annoy people with how much I think about, like, documentation and, you know, making sure that, that you're um, really preserving the work that you do so that other people can be aware of it. I do realize that... <laughs> The way that I operate as an individual is in conflict with (laughs) what I ask other people to do because I honestly don't know. I keep thinking to myself, like, what are the future archives going to have of me? Because there's not going to be a lot of pictures of me because I don't have a lot of pictures of me um, out in the world. And my Instagram will still, (laughs) my Instagram, all of them will still be private. I'm the most public on like Twitter, Mm -hmm. um, but that's only because I have like five followers. Very Shout dedicated. Out to, holding it down. <laughs> um, Quality over quantity. Yeah. I, know, I know. That's it's. I mean, Twitter is really kind of like the big canyon that I could yell into uh, and just be like, "Okay, it's out there." Yeah. It's really hard to kind of like think about. Well, okay. 
Let me actually get to the heart of your question. I think that being seen or my visibility doesn't necessarily have to be in the form of me. It doesn't have to be like Mm -hmm. my face plastered on things. Mm -hmm. I think that um, the work that I do is enough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as as someone who really, really is kind of invested in in this understanding of the fragmentation of everything, there's something kind of like poetic to me about the work that I do, and then the fact that in the future, like for for instance, right now, I'm doing a lot of work uh, and research to to um, find information about specific women who um, have done a lot of just really important work, like Margaret Burroughs mm-hmm. and like um, Alice Browning, uh, like some just some other women who have done amazing work who don't get, who are strangely at the moment getting a really a decent amount of recognition, but could really use more mm-hmm. and like a fuller understanding of what it is that they do. And I think about like, Again, I'm a person of process. I really enjoy the process. So this research into them is, like, really wonderful. But at the same time, there's a bit of a frustration with the fact that that while I, I appreciate and recognize the fact that everything will be fragmented, there are certain, certain folks that are too fragmented. Yeah. And so the way that um, I, as a curator or writer, construct their story for other people now with these fragments has me at a, you know, it, it's a long process simply yeah. because I have to really think about the holes and the gaps and mm-hmm. I have to really think about my role in filling those or leaving them empty yeah. Yeah. and weaving those together. And I, and the work that I've been doing uh, over the past two years with these, on the histories of these women I think about like myself in that position mm-hmm. in the future of like how how someone is going to be able to reconstruct me and what it is that mm-hmm. I did and mm-hmm. how I'm playing into the same kind of challenge that I'm having right now with these women I'm researching. So it's it's a little it's a hard yeah no it was uh, a hard question you know I, 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 uh. <laughs> it's a it's a hard one to answer because I don't think I'll change like my because right. my I'm not gonna. I'm not going to flood the world with with Tempest selfies and you know like I'm just not I'm well, not going to start that, like that did sound it sounded very brandable. <laughs> <laughs> just, no, you know, I'm that's not what's yeah. going to happen but what I do need to really think about um is how to and and what I encourage folks who are doing really important work um in this world to do is to really Think about your own construction of your mm. of your story, and for me, what that looks like is um, because sixty we work with the Harold Washington Library's Chicago Artist Files, and it's an open archive where anybody can um, any artist who's exhibited in two or more exhibitions within Chicago and has called Chicago home in some way, shape, or form could start a file. For me, what that looks like is me sitting down. And starting that for myself mm-hmm. and constructing that in in different ways. So whether it's my website online, but then more importantly, um, as I'm like 
a low-key conspiracy theorist that thinks there's a big switch that somebody's going to hit on the internet and that it's all going to go oh, yeah. away. Yeah, library of Alexander. You know. But to be able to have like a physical something yeah. Yeah, in absolutely. this age. So I think that's what it looks like to me. So the archives are, it's not as broadly um, accessible and just out there in the world as digital things are but it would allow me to kind of like construct my own story yeah. with my voice through materials in a way that you know I had my hands on and um that I would feel good if somebody took that and had that as a starting point from which to build years from now when yeah mm-hmm. if I'm so lucky to have some curator or researcher like myself to be interested and hopefully, if there are gaps, they're the gaps that you chose. Exactly. To leave. It's not yep. that they weren't, that they were taken away or there wasn't a possibility of that part right. of the scene. Right. Well, I think uh, we, I think you've already done it because we just talked for like an hour and a half and we filled the, <laughs> your, your archive's done. You can take the day off. <laughs> um, I'm good. I'm yeah, good. no, you're good. No, you, you, you're smooth. Thank you so much for taking yeah. the time yeah. to chop it up with us. Where can folks find you in the ways you'd like to be found in the world? Oh, my God. That's um, not the the hardest question we've asked. I know. How <laughs> can I be found? Um, <laughs> or your work. What do people usually say? Their website. Oh, their yeah. Websites, yeah. The event's coming up. So <laughs> you can find me at um, tempesthazel.com. Mm-hmm. And then there you can find access to my private Instagram where I might like screen you before I prove you. <laughs> it's reasonable. And you can find me on Twitter at tempestdhazel. Um and they can read and, everything on 60 Inches. And you can read everything on 60. You can also find my amazing team at From the Center um, on Instagram or Twitter. Cool. Yeah, I think that's all. How you feel? How do I feel? I feel good. I feel good. I know we, we pushed a lot. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for, for, for going, where, yep, yep. going where you would and uh, <laughs> taking us along for the ride. No, I, appreciate, I really appreciate um the two of you and the types of conversations that you like to have, it's it's something very, very special. And as and let me just say, as someone who is like super skeptical of podcasts, uh-huh. I'm just like not mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. some where I'm like, I can't listen to you anymore. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But um That's why we bring someone else every time. <laughs> yeah. Nobody needs to hear Damon and me talk. We every well, like forty episodes, the two of us just talk one on one. But but I will say that, you know, it's it's good listening. Huh, you know, like you. what the conversations that you're able to um to really make happen in this space are are something special. Oh, wow. Yeah. That means a lot. Thank yeah. you very much. It's really can, special. I'll just edit that part. And <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming through. Uh, we'll be back next week with another conversation showcasing and celebrating Chicago. You got to break this week, R&B singers, but we at your neck next time. We do. Be- no, no, we're going to go. We're going to get out of here. Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs> You know what? We're back. So we we almost got out of here, uh, but but R and B singers, no, no, we will not. We will not let you rest. No. Uh, so you know, for the people who don't know, the Tempest Hazel fans <laughs> who, are, who are just new to Ergo, uh, you know, we we have those deep conversations that you just so graciously commended us for. But the real cornerstone <laughs> of what we do is about accountability, and beef is our accountability tool. So there's a sect of the world that in at least my 26 years, but as we have started to do the research, it seems that the trend has gone on much longer, that has run amok. <laughs> and we at Ergo Radio shall stand for it no more. 
<laughs> I did the, for those at home. I did the Matumbo finger. <laughs> and we always invite our partners, our co-conspirators, our guest hosts to join us in this battle. And the battle is against R&B singers. So we're going to do it. Beef with an R&B singer. And why? With Tempest Hazel. Yes. Once I, once I say the name, it's going to be very clear what the beef is. You're doing but a my... great job of building this. <laughs> <laughs> my beef is with R. Kelly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The reason the game exists, yes. we will always accept. because accept. of R. Kelly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So we, we always, always invite accept. a second name because, oh, because, because <laughs> <laughs> and he catches it. But we don't. We used to be like, uh, no, like yes, that stands absolutely monstrous, yeah. uh, unacceptable. Somebody who loves him should give him help. I'll try to like throw that in there, but but it ain't gonna be but me. It ain't me. Beef. Any other beef you want to get in there? <laughs> Any other beef? Um, you know, I think. Uh, and I don't want to put them in the same category. So this is shifting <laughs> completely from, <laughs> you know, but my one of my beefs is with, um, and this is a throwback, is with Keith Sweat. Yes. He's becoming a fan favorite. A, is, you know, <laughs> coming up from, from because, third place, stepping into second here. It's, it's just the fact that he, just the... <laughs> We have to change the game to just how do you feel about Keith Sweat because it's always the best thing in the world. <laughs> you don't even have to answer. We can leave it right there. If there's more you want to add, you can. But that's that's I'll another. Just leave it. You know he has like a late night R&B radio show where no. he like plays Keith Sweat esque songs and has like Keith Sweat conversations with callers. Hey, uh, baby, tell me how your man is mistreating you. He's not loving you, right? Next caller. Come on in. Thank God. Thank God. He's still out here. Keep sweating. Hopefully that will be lost from the archive. This radio show. Oh, my God. It's syndicated, too. It's like oh. a national thing. How many people have said Keith Sweat? At least seven to ten. Really? Yeah, oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah. How many people have said R. Kelly? Everybody. Everybody. About, Almost everybody. About 58 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, like... Just if anybody and use I'll use this as an opportunity. Anybody can send me a, a <laughs> argument for why anyone like today <laughs> not Keith Sweat. I mean, fine. Listen to listen. Uh. You know, <laughs> do what you do. But if if anyone can send me like a good argument for why you listen to R. Kelly mm-hmm. in 2018. I I would love to hear it because there is nothing, there is just nothing that I can understand from anyone. Yeah. Um, Here's what I'm going to pile on to that. We got to wrap up. Unless it's vinyl or CD, you listening to R. Kelly is actively protecting him to harm people. Yeah. Because it is what emboldens him. And so especially in the streaming era and in radio, if you are supporting that, Right, like, yeah. All right. And in the streaming <laughs> era and radio, if you just are repeating Ergo over and over and over again, then uh, that's actually opposing our country. <laughs> and uh, we'll, happ- we'll happily take those streaming <laughs> that numbers. Good, okay. We right, are, we are on here. Spotify. <laughs> Talk to you next week. Much lesser to people. Peace. Bye. You like games? Do you like these particular five games? You ever heard of Jackbox games? I haven't, but now you can. Get five hilarious party games in the Jackbox Party Pack 5. It's now available on Xbox One, PS4, Nintendo Switch, Steam, and more. Play games like You Don't Know Jack, Full Stream, Split the Room, Madverse City, Patently Stupid, and Zeepledome with friends this weekend. Visit jackboxgames.com for more info.